Hey, 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 what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the LED Project Podcast. I am Law, joined here with Kyle Krieger. What's going on? Yep, and we are Lighthouse Educated Development, and we are coming here with podcast number... 17. 17. 17, 17. 17. 17. 17. 17. All right, so, um, I really think it's 18, but I'll let you make it on that. Um, but we're coming back with a back to school edition. We're pretty excited about this. Um, the school year, this is, you know, this is that time where, where, you know, we get to make our money. You know, this is when we earn our money. And, um, and we want to just talk about back to school. So before we get into back to school, we're going to go ahead and go into, uh, our clear the air, clear the air, clear the air. So Kyle, let's start with you. What you got on your mind right now? Oh man, uh, you know I've I've been back in Wisconsin, getting settled for about two weeks now, and and um, I've really uh, enjoyed the time I've spent about half that time with my nephews, who are just just awesome, and and I uh, got to meet the guys I'm gonna coach basketball with, and got to meet the guys I'm gonna coach football with, and got to see my classroom, and and it's it's exciting. You know, to be back and to really be able to take what we worked on and what we've been doing and, you know, the work I've done on myself and and put it into practice in the classroom again. So I'm really excited about that. Awesome. Awesome. And being back home has to be a big help. I mean, that is something about that I know for me, being home was always just, just almost like, if you know, if just, just kind of melts you away, and having Beckett and Dove there probably just makes yeah. it all. Yeah, they're uh, they're good. So things are great, man. All right, um, my clear the air. Um, uh, most people don't know this, but I really don't like a lot of people in my house. Like that's just me, and I'm just gonna call it fair. Um, not that I'm against people being in my home. I I will invite people, but I don't like a lot of people. That makes any sense. So, well, my wife and I jumped out of the box and we hosted my nephew, my niece's one-year birthday party this weekend. Um, and man, can I just say, that my, you know, my sister—I told you before—my sister and my brother-in-law they just adopted two sisters, or well, they're fostering to adopt these two wonderful little girls. One's uh, two; she'll turn three in November. The other one is just turned one, August fourth, and. Man, watching the lives, the, the change that these kids have made just in, you know, less than half a year, uh, being in a, in a home where they're getting love, they're getting attention, they're getting nourishment, they're getting uh, not only physical nourishment, they're getting uh, mental and emotional and spiritual nourishment, and watching the transition where the one shy little girl who would hide behind my sister's leg because... She didn't want to talk to anybody who will actually run and jump up into my arms now. You know, who kisses me on my cheek and say, I love you, Uncle Trey. Um, I mean, I almost get emotional thinking about it, like watching them just, I, it, it reminds me of what intentionality we do in the life of kids. When we're intentional about what we're doing and how we're doing, treating kids, um, it, it just, it's, we can see the evidence of it. And, you know, people always say, oh, there's, you don't get a parenting handbook. And we don't. There's no handbook that says how to be a good husband. There's no handbook that says how to be a good wife, how to be a good mother, how to be a good father. 
But there are certain guiding principles that we all kind of live by in our society that if you just raise them on that alone, setting parameters, you know, allowing things and knowing, letting them know when not to do things. And, and, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy how they gravitate to that structure and they, it, it, it makes a difference, man. Like I say, it was, it was wonderful watching her smash her first cake. You know, my other little niece, she's running around. Even yesterday, my sister was like, she's still running around telling everybody happy birthday because she's excited. This is something new for her to be able to celebrate her birthday with her sister. They were previously not together. You know, so now she has a little sister that she can be happy for. And it was, it was just amazing. That just really kind of, uh, that's my clear the air, kind of. Like a reassurance yeah. of, 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 of hope and that, that, that children bring. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's a thing too with, with the move and with everything that's been going on and, and all the changes. I think having that grounding in family and, and being able to be a bigger part of my nephew's lives, I think it, it's just, you know, when I moved eight years ago, it was the opportunity to, to teach and to pursue that, you know, and that was not an opportunity I could find, you know, up here at the time. And now I moved again because, you know, there's, as much as I have, you know, Nevaeh and a bunch of other kids who refer to me as uncle, it's, it just is not, not the same as, you know, that, that genuine family, you know, to have that, that opportunity. And it's been great there. You're pretty awesome. So. Absolutely, man. You know, it just, yeah, absolutely. 100%. So we're going to move on. Uh, so we can stay there all day long. Man. Oh, yeah, just, yeah. Like I say, it's just, family is everything. You know, family is everything. It is everything. I was just writing uh, this morning and um, quoted that, that old saying that it takes a village to raise raise children, to raise a child. And, and I started thinking, it's not just it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village doing what a village does in order to raise a child. What you got going on? Oh, sorry. I think one of, I think Lydia came down, but I don't know. Okay, so, uh, but yeah, it takes a village doing what a village does in order to raise a child. And I think that that's what you, getting back to Wisconsin with Becky and Doug, you, 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 you really, um, Hope your sister and brother, the brother I don't mind me calling Dubs. No, no. That's kind of that's kind of official, you know. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're still using that, yeah. Okay, but uh, but yeah, you know, so um, that you know that that you now get to become that village for them. Yeah. You know, you get to instill in them some some principles that um, that's been missing because you get only you can bring your experience to their life. You know, it was good for me hanging out this summer with my nephews, you know, getting to hang out with Darius and Cedric again. And then another day, Saturday, I had my cousins, Kiara and Taylor. These are kids that, growing up, I helped raise. You know, I was there when they were born. And to see them now as adults and thriving adults and, you know, successful in their in their ventures just man, makes my heart proud. And that's what, that's what America is built on. That, that, that's what America was built on, and we have to get back to that. So, <sighs> soapbox off. Now, all right, we're going to move on to the next section, which are we connect again. If you do not know, you do not, you have not been exposed, you need to, 
check out WeConnect, uh, Chad and Will, Chad Littlefield, Will Wise over at WeAnd.me. Uh, we, the creators and co-founder of WeConnect, uh, I still see them doing big things all over the place. Um, I think the other day he was out in Holland somewhere. Yeah, he's was all over j- just doing drone things. <laughs> right, I saw a drone video and I was like, hey, I'm going to have to reach out to Chad and let him know, hey, take us along with that. So we got to get on that trip. Uh, yeah. But yeah, if you haven't heard of him, man, you need to get it. Great conversation starters, great ways to kind of drop the Monday and how are we doing today and how are things going, but really get into the nuts and bolts of getting to know people and connecting on a human level. So, um, Kyle, you have your card for us today? I do. What, and this is purple, what is something you've recently discovered that you are excited about? And I'll, and I'll throw that to you starting out. Something that I've recently discovered that I'm excited about. Recently discovered that I'm excited about. Um, Recently, I I would say probably something recently discovered. Um, nothingness 
And when I was sharing it with one of my cousins, you know, she shared with me that, hey, I have a friend who has a yoga studio, you know, um, and, and to talk to a yogi and have them kind of give you their insight, you know, and say, hey, you know, yoga is not, you know, and like I said, I love it, trust me, trying to do why I love it, um, and it's just, if you find the time to do it, I mean, it's, I mean, it's one of those things that you just start wondering why haven't you been doing it, you know, so, but yeah, so yeah, that, that's good, yoga. So we're going to call you Yogi Kyle in a minute, right? No, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Yogi Kyle sounds good. All right, so in this back-to-school edition, the back-to-school edition, we're going back. A lot of teachers already returned. Um, I was up at the campus yesterday, saw teachers setting up their rooms and hanging things and all of this stuff, um, getting ready for the year. And I'm excited, man. I'm like... It's like a carpenter getting a fresh load of lumber just delivered. I mean, it's just like, it's that sense of excitement of what can we create this year? Um, but I want to focus today in this podcast about the impact of a teacher. The impact that a teacher has on a student's life. I, I, I always hear teachers say, you know, things like, they just better be happy I'm here. I'm here to give them this seven, eight hours, and then I'm going home. Um, And this is sometimes not just said amongst teachers. Sometimes it's said amongst students, if we want to be honest. And the students hear this. Um, But I want to talk about it. I I want want to talk with you about, uh, I guess the first area you want to talk about, the impact of the teachers in the classroom. Like, um, how do teachers really maximize that time that they have those students there in the classroom? Um, you know, it, this is such an interesting topic for me because I'm in such a different situation from where I was teaching down there. Like, I have 28 kids total in my core ALC class, and I only get 14 of them, 10 of them, them at and they are with us in ALC for four periods. So basically, you know, two and a half periods per day, I get my kids in a really close-knit thing, or, you know, in a really close-knit group, and then potentially if they're a sophomore, they get into our program, I could have that kid for three years at two and a half hours a day, you know, in a really small, you know, close-knit kind of crew. So I'm really interested to see how, how that plays to my strengths of building relationships you know, within the classroom, but I, I think that impact that a teacher has, no matter whether it's me in ALC or it's you or it's it's anyone, is is based on you know the the same thing we come back to the intentionality of the relationship. You know, I'm glad you said that. Started out is that it's about the intent because everything starts with an intent, and what we get out of it. Uh, an encounter or an experience is typically based around that intent. I mean, we do have those... Hold on. Are you hearing that feedback to it? No. All right. I just keep hearing myself back. Uh, but yeah, 
intent is uh, is everything. You know, what you look forward to become. And as teachers, we have that ability to create an environment. Like that's not if we if we fail to create an environment, one's gonna be made for us. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things. If you fail to choose something, something will be chosen for you. But the moment you choose that you want to be intentional on how you govern your classroom or how your classroom governs itself, that transition that changes kids' lives dramatically. Yeah, and I and I was been thinking, you know, about that as how I want to structure my classroom, you know, thinking about, you know, your respect, integrity, pride. But I think I'm just gonna I'm really boiling it down to that one word, that that key word that is in all everything we do, value. Like that might just be my one word. Like, is what you're doing valuing yourself and valuing the people around you? That's good. You know? Because I have 10th through 12th graders. They don't need it. I mean, if you give them a checklist of things they can't do and can do, can do and can't do, they're going to they're gonna buck against that. But that's, and, and I love that, too. Like you said, it gives kids the chance to be reflective on their own behavior. Right they have the chance to really decide on their own terms whether what they're doing is in their character or not, you know, not, did I, you know, when you have a long list of rules and a set of rules, it, it becomes a checklist. These kids can just check boxes, you know, and they spend so much time just checking boxes with the schoolwork that they do. We need to give them more opportunities to really be reflective and say, this is the standard I want to hold myself to, not the standard someone else holds me to. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is the key. I like that word. I'm like, I mean, still that. We're, we're doing one word as a campus this year uh, based on the John Gordon book. Uh, you know, my word for this year was commitment, but we had to come up with one that for our, for our campus, I mean, for, like, for our individual selves as, as educators, and I think I'm going to use that one also. I mean, that's, that's at the essence of everything. You know, I just wrote on the you know, paper the other day, this is our slogan, value adds value. You know, and I think that's really good. And I think as teachers looking into their classrooms, what value is your environment adding to your students? Or how does it devalue your students? You know, if you're always late, never playing properly, and everything is kind of just always shooting off the hip, then the question is, how much do you value the classroom and the environment that your kids are coming in with the expectation that I'm going to learn something, that I'm going to grow, that I'm going to be better? So, um, yeah, I like that. So, the impact of a teacher in the classroom summed up with two words, intent and value. And so let's look at the impact of the teachers in schools. Uh, you know, I, I, I go back to that saying I love that, you know, it takes a village, that every member of that village is important and critical to, to the success of that village. And I was doing some research on the social component of humans and that that alone, that social component, is probably the reason that we didn't die off. Because we found out how to come together. We found out how to live amongst each other peacefully. We learned how to 
how to, you know, if I can't farm but I can hunt, how I can depend on you to farm and I can go hunt, trade my meat for your vegetables and get about. You know what I mean? It's like we we've been this in this interdependent relationship with one another since the existence of since the what's the word I'm looking for? Come on, social social studies, social scientists, uh What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, since we started living in groups? Since we started living in groups, thank you. See, simple as that. Uh, that we've been dependent upon that social aspect of it. And I think a lot of people don't really, as teachers, we don't really look at that. You know, we'll tell you uh, other teachers, quite all right, him or her. But they're part of your village. It doesn't matter if you like them or him or her or not. It's that you have to work with them and you have to do what you can to make sure you preserve your relationship with them, they preserve their relationship with others, and everybody preserves their relationship with the whole so that everybody can survive. Yeah. You know, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, that's, you know, for me, and I'm just speaking on my experience, you know, from the past, I think that was what, you know, in terms of the school, that was what coaching did. You know, um, it, it gave you more of a face with the entire student body. And I, I think that's why I took two coaching positions, you know, up here is because it, it gives you that extra opportunity to really be involved with kids. And it also gives you the chance to just be seen. I think we, as teachers, we underestimate the value of just the kids that see us that might not ever, t- we might not ever talk to them we might not hardly ever interact with them, but they see us and we act a certain way, we do certain things and they take cues off of that. We don't, we don't impact just the people we have direct contact with. You know, we've talked about this a bunch. Kids are always watching, always. And they're trying to judge you on, on what you do. And I, and I think that's such an important part is that we realize that Everything we do is being watched and is an opportunity for us to really impact kids and, and do right by them. And it's funny you say that because I go back to what my pastor, uh, Dr. Boyd, always says that more is caught than taught. You know, we think that the only lesson we're teaching the kids is when we're standing up in front of the class giving them a lecture for 45 minutes. But no, they're catching how you interact with other teachers. They're watching your facial expression when people walk into your room. They're, they're seeing how disheveled or how you become when, when something happens. They're learning from us over and over and over and over and over again. And it's, it's them catching us doing things that they start to dictate. And, and share an interesting story. My, uh, my, my little niece, she's, you know, she's at that parenting stage where whatever she hears, she's going to repeat so, um, you have to be mindful of what you say around her. Because if not, she's going to turn around and repeat it. And most times, she'll repeat it in context. Because she's caught on to the idea that when this happens, they say this. So now, it's okay, because this is happening, let me respond that way. And, and you know, and I say, you know, that's amazing when you think about the fact that no one teaches, we don't teach that. But it's just our human nature to be observant of what's going on and kind of 
you know, paying attention to uh, our surroundings. And part of our survival is how do you survive? How do you get through it? Yeah, she's going to a friend's house. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, like you said, how, how do you survive? That's such a good point. I mean, it's, I think I just really underestimate, like I said, the impact you have on kids that you're not, not trying to. And I think it comes back to our point of your impact on kids, whether you want to or not, with what you do. You're always having an impact, good or bad. It's, you know, it's kind of the same point that you were making with me prior. You know, like you're 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 either moving forward or you're moving backwards. And if you're standing still, people are moving ahead of you. You're moving backwards. So you know that's you're back, yeah. You're losing ground and don't even know it. So we talked about the classroom. We talked about the school. Now let's talk about the community. One thing that really sets to me because, you know, as I was doing some research on the impact of this, this topic, I started thinking of the fact that over one third of a student's day is spent in, uh, in school. One third of their day. Mm-hmm. The only thing that they do more than me in school, almost in most cases, is complete. So, what we do in our classroom has a, the ability to teach and shape what our kids experience when they go home, when they go out into the community. They can transfer these principles that they learn in the classroom over into their real life. Well, we won't use that term because it's all real life, but it'll transfer from behind the, beyond the, the school wall. So things that you say, you know, like kids coming back three years later saying, oh, Mr. Law, I still remember your three principles, respect, integrity, and pride. You know, I teach it to my friends, and I tell them that's how we're going to do it, da 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 And that being a portion of a legacy that's being passed on from one generation to another. And that's the type of impact that you can have on the community, because as you get positive teachers giving positive messages, messages and feeding kids this positiveness, then those kids will in turn start to do the same thing over and over again within a community, which will then change the face of the community. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's like we talked about with that, that Tim Ferriss point of, you know, being, being like a computer virus. You know, if you put positivity out, it's going to filter down from you. And if you put negativity out, that's altering, also going to filter down. Yeah, you know, I tell them all the time that when you're planting seeds of negativity, you can't be mad when you wake up in a forest of negativity. Yeah. Because each one of those seeds is designed to give root, take root, and to give birth to more trees. But it's trees of its kind. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's uh, that's somewhere in the Bible that you can't, you know, plant plant thorns and expect fruit. Or yeah. What, what what you what you sow. You show me. I don't like this. You'll sow the wind, but then you'll reap the whirlwind. So, for what the little that you plant, you're going to get so much more back in return. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. So now, you want to add anything to the community? Um, I, and, you know, the community piece too, I think, is interesting because, you know, it's important that kids see the way we interact with the community. You know, the way we interact with parents, the way we interact with, and I think it could even be the way we interact with other teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just comes back to, you know, being mindful that kids are always watching. Always watching. You know, and learning. And learning. And, and, you know, we learn a lot more, like Dr. Boyd says, from what we see than from what we hear. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, th- I think that really is, is where that behavior and, you know, our next episode, we want to talk about autobiographies and biographies to where is the story you're telling people matching what your actions actually are. You know, because that's, you know, we've been talking about this in a little different context for a while, but... It's hard to rebound when you say you're one thing and your actions prove that you're something else. Right. You know, and it, it's just really, um, it's, it's hard to recover that. It's hard to recover that trust when, you know, you've, you know, proven that your actions and your words don't match. Hmm. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about the global impact. You know, and I go back to um, the great analogy that you gave, and I, and I still, I wrote it in the paper where it says, you know, we are the one percent that controls the fate of the ninety-nine. So think about how how huge that is. That what we do as teachers impact not only our community, our school, our city, but it, it, it impacts how the, how, how the world works. You know, I, I think about like, what would, what, would, what would Henry Ford right now say and what cars are going to You know, what would Henry Ford say about how they're being built? You know, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, he started something that said, okay, this is what I want to do. You know, we often hear this one percent being the one percent of privilege, the one percent of wealth, you know, the financial, you know, control and all this. But really, intellectual control is, is financial control. You know, and that in turn controls everything in the world. So if we as teachers don't really get down to the nuts and bolts of the fact that our job is to really shape this world one student at a time. And understand that that impact is huge. We're going to be missing the boat. Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing too. And there's so much negativity out there, and there's so many really big problems. And we're trying to solve them with adults. Like we're trying to change the adults that are already out there, mm-hmm. rather than working through the kids now to make sure that the next generation doesn't, you know not only does it make the same mistakes, but there are people in this generation that have access to technology we never have that can do things that we were never able to. Absolutely. So I don't know that our problems are going to change necessarily, or it's just that this next generation of people in it are going to solve them. So I think the global impact of, of really valuing education, I think it's got to come back to you know, our, the traditional definition of education. 
you know, of just the value of learning. You know, if you if you help people value learning over you know certainty, where we have so much, you know, people saying this is how the world is, this is how the world is, this is how the world is, not saying okay, let's learn about what's going on, let's learn about this other group of people, let's learn about all these other things. You know, so I think that's where the global impact comes, and I mean it's it's a pre-made place where you can change change the fate and the future of, of the country and the planet, you know, in a classroom, you know, we want to try to influence, you know, we spend so much money trying to influence adults and yet we forego the chance to really impact the kids that, you know, it's a cliche, but they are the future. Like, you know, they got to fix the world that we created. Right. You know, I think it's interesting that they, um, you know, you also always hear people say, oh, you know, kids are the future. You know, I think back to the old Whitney Houston song, I believe the children are the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. You know, but when you think about what she's saying in that song, she's saying, teach them how to preserve what's here. You know, we can go to the Bible on that too, because the Bible also tells us that when God created man, and it's funny that Regardless of what religion you believe in, whether you pray to Allah, or you pray to God, or you pray to Buddha, or, you know, you're you're a student of Confucius, everybody believes that there was something, a being, that created man, and gave man an order. And I think those core principles that are in that, that centralized kind of really sets the tone of what we should be looking at passing on from generation to generation. Because, again, if, if I would have said when I was in school, I want to be a social media influencer. People would have looked at me like I was crazy. Social media wasn't even a thing when I was in school. If I said, I'm going to get a phone that you can walk around and carry around in your pocket and actually surf the internet on the World Wide Web when I was in sixth grade, they would look at me strange because number one, there was no worldwide web when I was in sixth grade. Well, there was, but it wasn't for the public. There were no cell phones. You know, we, you know, we had the big car phones that was just a regular house phone that you plugged into the cigarette lighter and it worked, you know. But all these things that are new technologies and new things, that was not, for, you know, that was, that was just, we can't prepare them for that. We can only cultivate what they are inside their, their authentic self in order to free them to create those things that are going to be in the future. You know what I mean? If we stifle everyone to be to fit a mold, then you're just saying this generation is going to be just like the last generation, going to be the last generation. And I was reading an article about baby boomers, and they said that baby boomers, one of the greatest generations known. You know, they're, they're the ones responsible for a lot of the wealth of the United States. You know, they're the ones who fought back from the depression and all these things. So, but what, what fell in baby boomers, in the baby boomers generation, was their inability to transfer, transfer the values and ethics of that, of that generation to other generations. Because then it started getting out of control, slowly and surely. And so we as teachers, we have the ability to transfer those values. We have the ability to transfer a sense of morality within this world and a sense of 
you know, that golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, and that's, I think that's the best way to sum it up in terms of how, how teachers have an impact across a lot of broad um, domains and a lot of, I mean, it's just that, that same principle, but you know, 1%. 1%. Making cereal over here. All right, so we're gonna end. Hello. Yeah, that's Lydia. Uh, we're gonna end with um, a new segment that we're starting up. Um, kind of our uh, back to school is so important that we kind of keep this. So we're gonna call it Kyle's Health Tip. So Kyle, go ahead and give us a health tip. Okay, so I, re- I recall a few podcasts ago that I had said, you know, talked about having accountability teams and, and that and that's such a huge part uh, and also talking about being in a routine that you can sustain through, you know build a routine in the summer that you can sustain through the year um, and to expand on that I think I think meal prepping is an underrated health tip especially for teachers because you know in that truncated time that you have to eat your meals it you know, they call it fast food for a reason. You know, but fast food and healthy don't generally go together. And, and you know, yeah, you can get healthy options at certain places and, and, and that stuff, but not the way you can control, you know, the portion size and what's in your meals if you meal prep. But then that takes you being okay with eating sometimes a lot of the same things throughout the week. So finding those healthy options that are not only um, easy to make for you that you can do, but also you can enjoy and you can eat and consistently, I think that's that's a huge part of it. So whether it's a Sunday meal prep or a Wednesday meal prep or, or kind of whatever, just being really mindful of, of the meals you're eating and where they're coming from and, and not getting into bad habits to start the year. So... Let me ask you this. We know that meal prepping is, most people see it as this tedious, you know, oh my God, I, got, I don't have time to sit there and cook all that food and do all this. So how can you help us with, like if I'm just wanting to get started, like how can I ease my way into, you know, baby toe, you know, next toe, foot, you know, slowly into meal prepping, to where it's manageable, and I can kind of start getting myself into that habit. Well, I think it's just dependent upon you know your circumstances. For me, like just cooking for myself, it's it's easier because I know exactly what I I want and exactly kind of what my right portions are. But I assume for someone with a family, it's harder, and and I assume for you know people who have kids, it's it's probably harder, but. I would start with the meal you're most likely to cheat on. The meal that, that the meal that's most likely to have a detrimental impact to your health, whether that's breakfast or whether that's lunch or whether that's dinner. And maybe meal prepping isn't, you know, making meals for the entire week. Maybe it's just making sure that you cook dinner at home every night rather than going out three times a week. Or making sure that you eat breakfast before you leave the house or you, you know, whatever it might be. So I would say the meal that 
most likely is going to have a negative effect on your health would be the one that I would start with. And cooking at home most of the time, I know like in our house, if I cook a meal, I mean the other day I made a, uh, I'm calling it my Southwestern turkey bake. Well, I just took uh, ground turkey, browned it in one dish, browned it in my Dutch oven, added some onions, some garlic, some corn, some black beans, diced tomatoes, some tomato sauce, some rice. Then I let that simmer and cook. And then I, I took the black beans and corn. Then I, once it cooked and all the water drained out, the rice was done, I popped it in the oven just to kind of get it a little congealed together. Pulled it out, ate that for breakfast. I mean, I made, I mean we ate that for lunch. Ate that for dinner, and then the other morning, I actually took a little bit of it, scrambled me an egg inside of it, and had me like a little a little breakfast breakfast bowl with turkey, eggs, and rice. And, it, and that was just from one meal, just from one meal between my wife, myself, and my daughter. Um, so I think I think you're right on that. If you cook at home, particularly when you eat out, you spend thirty bucks to eat one day. Whereas if you go to the grocery store, you spend thirty bucks, you can eat for three days. You know, off of one meal. And I'm not one that does not eat leftovers. I'll eat leftovers until they start growing fuzz. I mean, you have to tell me to stop. I, you know, if it's good, it's good. I don't I don't have an issue that like a lot of people can't eat the same things over and over again. I can eat baked chicken every day of the week. That's me though. I can eat grilled chicken every day of the week. That's me. Some people can't. But I think one thing they can do also is mix it up. One day have grilled chicken with rice. Next day take the grilled chicken, chop it up, and put it over a salad. You know, maybe dice it up, add a little um, reddish and a little mustard to it, make a little chicken salad. There's so many ways you can manipulate it to where you're not always having to prep the same meal over and over. That doesn't seem the boredom of eating the same thing every day. You know, I admire you. I mean, I can almost predict what you're going to eat for lunch. <laughs> it's either going to be chicken, rice, and broccoli, chicken, rice, and, and, and peas, or chicken, rice, and something. It, but, and, and, but you're okay with that. I think as long as you know that you're okay with that, it's going to work for you. Yeah. You just keep doing it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's, that's good. That's a good way to put it. And that's a good way to end it. So, um, back to school edition, teachers, 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 please, please do not forget the impact that you have. Um, it is so critical that, that we get it right. Not only in the classroom, but for the school, for the community, and for our global community uh, at large. We have to remember we're a global society now, and as we move further into that, we have to be mindful of how us, our roles as teachers, how we play a huge part in that, the sustaining of that. So, uh, podcast number 17 or 18 will be corrected inside of the, uh, in, in the, in the comments below. So, um, Signing off, this is Wilkie Long, Kyle Krieger, Lighthouse Educator Development, wishing all the teachers a great, successful year. Remember, put relationships first and go get it. Peace.